Hey, ABF, welcome to church week two. Uh, we're so excited to be with you guys. Uh, hopefully that, uh, hopefully your week has been just a, a fun, blessed one uh, with your family, uh, building forts on the, on the floor and having dinners and playing board games with, uh, with loved ones. Uh, we're so excited to be with you guys. Uh, we have a sweet time of worship, and we're going to continue in our series in First Peter. And uh, we just hope and pray that uh, you guys get a little comfortable. It's week two, so you can get up off your couches and you can sing and open your, your voices and put your uh, uh, shoulders around each other. Uh, there's a fun verse that uh, we're, we've been sharing. It's in a Psalm, uh, Psalms 149.5. It says this, Let the godly, the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let them sing for joy on their beds. So no matter if you're on your beds or on your couches or, or whatnot, let's go ahead and sing and, and have an awesome time in worship. Worthy of every song. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus the name above every other
church, I miss having you in the room. <laughs> I miss singing with you and seeing you raise your voices and raise your hands in worship. Um, we're holding you in our heart right now just as a staff, as a worship leading apparatus. I see you in your space, in your home, um, with your family. I pray that this little moment of worship would help you just kind of settle. Um, that's what worship does when we sing together. It settles our spirits. So just take a minute. Let the heaviness of the moment kind of just fade away. And take a deep breath in and know that the Lord is good. The Lord is present. The Lord is on his throne. And he is still giving peace that passes understanding and unspeakable joy. We're going to sing about that. It goes like this.
ABF family, that is the hope we cling to. I sure hope you're, you're not just surviving during this time, but you're thriving with your family. You know, I want to pray right now. And we got a prayer guide last week from Pastor Scott. It's on the screen behind me. And we're going to pray through three of those areas. It may be helpful that you pause after each one if you want to pray longer. But we really want to go to the Lord and just lift up some of these areas. So as we pray together, first of all, I want to pray for the healthcare workers. Let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, right now, I pray for all the doctors and nurses and the frontline people who are caring for sick people. They're literally putting their lives on the line every day. And so we want to pray for them. If you know a nurse or a doctor or someone, pray for them right now. Take a moment. Next, we want to pray for the vulnerable among us. Probably all of you have a grandma or grandpa or an aunt and uncle or someone you know that's in that high-risk category. Maybe your hearts have been a bit anxious because you're worried about them. They're not living close to you. And so let's pray for those who are at risk. Heavenly Father, right now, I pray for the vulnerable. I pray for those who may get this illness. Lord, would you protect them? Would you surround them? Would you intercede on their behalf? Lord, we give them to you. Again, go ahead and pray by name for people that you know. Our third group tonight that we'll pray for are those who are literally losing their jobs. I got a call this week from one of our fellow ABFers and he was laid off. No severance, no nothing, just done. And that story has been repeated over and over again. And this, my friends, is where the family really comes together as we support one another and we encourage one another and so let's pray for them. Lord, I pray for those among us, our family and friends who may have already lost a job or they've been furloughed or they've lost hours. I pray for our waitresses and, and others who are in some of those industries where they're laying off entire teams. But Lord, you 
are going to get us through this. And we'll rise up together and we'll support one another and we'll pray and encourage and bring meals. And Lord, right now, we pray by name for the people we know that may have lost jobs or hours or work. Pray for them right now. So Lord, we give all this to you. We don't do it with anxiety. We do it with great hope, great joy, because we know that you can and you will meet these needs. Thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, folks, I know it's hard not to see each other each week, but I want to make sure you're getting our emails. And so if you look at the slide there, info at agurabible.org. We're communicating every week. And so if you want to be a part of that, just get on our email list if you haven't already done so. And then we've talked about, we hardly ever talk about giving and all that, but I know that sometimes it's a little confusing. So I'm going to give you the one, two, three, four ways to give. First of all, you can give on our website. There's a picture of our website. Honey, we have a website? Yeah, we have a website. You can go there. Number two, you can give on our app, and there's a picture of the app, and it's real simple to do it that way. Hey, you can mail a check anytime you want, right? Mail that check. But guess what? Don't send us cash. Just put the check in. And lastly, this is so great. We have a Dropbox. So I realize our office hours have changed, and we're not there to see you. And so there's a picture of the three mailboxes at the end of our driveway. We're the one in the middle where the red arrows are pointing, and you just drop it in, and uh, we'll check that. And so that's the way you can give. And then lastly, hey, I want to show you a couple of fun pictures about our life groups. We're starting groups all the time, and here's some pictures of life groups that met on Zoom this past week. A lot of fun. And if you haven't realized that the Flores are in space, uh, they're coming back this week you can even connect with them. And so I hope uh, you have some fun with your life groups. Tell me stories about it. And, uh, you know, speaking of stories, Mrs. Cagle is up now because we've got some incredible stuff happening with our kids. Well, hey, kids, I miss you so much. It is so hard for me to not see you every week coming here to Kids Blast. So virtual hugs, kids, lots of virtual hugs. I miss you so much. Well, I hope you've been taking the time to get on our website or checking out the emails that I've been sending out with our weekly Bible story videos and worship experiences. Parents, I hope you are using those resources that we are sending out to you and making available so that your kids can continue to grow in their love for Jesus Christ. For those families that are in our Awana program, well, we hope you are continuing every week to dive into those handbooks and kids, you are working on those weekly sections and memorizing those verses. So continue to work through that this semester, and we're hoping we'll all be able to complete our handbooks. Parents, we'd love for you to be signing off on those verses and making sure that your kids are hiding God's word in their hearts. 
this week, Scott's message is titled, Don't Waste This Trial, that we've all found ourselves in. Well, in our staff meeting this past week, we went around the table and we decided we're going to call families to check in on them and to pray for them. So I've had the opportunity to call up families and talk with them and to pray with them. And to be honest, this has been so powerful and encouraging in my own life. These phone calls have actually been a lifeline for me during this social distancing, um, quarantine, house arrest, whatever you want to call it that we've found ourselves in. Well, our family challenge for this week is for everyone to reach out to at least one person that isn't typically in your circle of influence. So we're encouraging you to get a a pen and a paper and send a letter, send a card to someone that you could encourage, uh, a FaceTime message to someone you haven't uh, seen for a while, or maybe a Zoom call to coworkers that you're missing. We just want you to be able to reach out and encourage one another. So you kids, what I want you to do this week is I want you to pull out some paper. I want you to draw some pictures and maybe you'll draw pictures for everybody in your neighborhood and walk around the block and tape them up onto mailboxes just to be the light of Jesus Christ in our neighborhood and put the spotlight on him. Families, I encourage you to take this opportunity to go and encourage those that need a little extra encouraging during this isolation time. So I'd love to see all the creative ways that you come up with doing this and uh, send me a picture, kids, of your love in action. Well, um, a lot of you have uh, sent in this past week your Fort Challenge pictures. And so it was really fun to see what everybody was doing in their living rooms. Super creative. So we want to highlight some of our favorites now. to get low. Oh. You feel would like to say hello to everybody. <laughs> that light is shining directly at the camera. Hi, Theo. Here's Theo Station. We worked her swing in. Yeah. For good and just for entertainment because, like, who doesn't want a baby in a fort? Right. Hi there, William. Hi. Well, hello, Caleb. Let's go. So, this is my room. It's Kinsey's room. It's a little bed. Mm-hmm. And I have like a shelf right here. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of pets here, as you can tell. Around the corner here in this hallway, we have Cameron's bedroom. Yeah. Ow. Pretty fun. Oh, yep. I just need someone. Honey, wasn't that fun? Yeah! Well, it's so fun to see the uh, highlights from some of the ways that our church family is maximizing uh, their fort building, especially uh, John and Cheryl. I think theirs turned out uh, great from what I've heard. Uh, well, I'm wondering, just as we're getting into chapter, uh, the second half of chapter four in First Peter, if there's anyone in our church family that grew up in what you would describe as a don't waste anything household. 
My parents, uh, I would say, were definitely frugal, especially uh, in my younger years. It's kind of a, uh, where money was a little bit more scarce. My sister still tells the story of one particular time where uh, she had a, a band event. And it was actually, actually a marching band. I, don't, I guess they used to do that. Uh, and they required that all of the kids had black shoes. And so my dad, to save a little bit of money, instead of buying shoes for one particular event, he actually took a black electrical tape and wrapped her white shoes. Uh, and in the middle of the marching, uh, the tape began to come off. Uh, and so uh, very embarrassing, I've been told, for my sister. I don't know what it's been for you or what that looked like. My grandfather and grandparents were also uh, from the era of definitely being frugal. My grandfather was a immigrant, one of 19 kids. I've talked about that before in church, which is crazy to think about. But uh, his occupation, he was actually a butcher. And I remember any time we were visiting uh, for a meal or whatnot, we knew as kids that we were not allowed to leave anything left on the plate. Didn't matter, gristle from the meat, every, like it was, it was nasty. He did end up passing on at a young age from a heart attack. Uh, but either, either way, uh, you might have that same experience uh, in your household. Maybe even you've noticed some frugal tendencies heightened during this crazy virus where maybe around the house you're spending too much time thinking about the costs attached to different things. I noticed even some silly things I was doing. I noticed that our uh, one of our soap dispensers was running a little low, so I added water to it so that it would go farther. But then I was like, wait a second, then it's not going to clean hands. I don't know what crazy stuff you're doing, but we have a tendency, many of us, to try not to waste to try to make sure we get things to go as far as it possibly can. And for those of you that are especially frugal, you're going to love this week's message because the title I've given it is Don't Waste This Trial. I'll explain that as we explore the text, but let me start by praying. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. And even though we're not necessarily all together as a church family, we do ask that you'd use this, that you'd speak through your word to us. I thank you for how relevant this text is for us facing trials, God. We ask now that you be present in our different areas of worship, in our homes, in our different viewing areas, God, that you be working and moving. We commit this time to you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, looking at First uh, Peter chapter 4, would love if you would turn there with me. We're in verse 12, starting off. And uh, listen to this very first verse, and you tell me if you think it's relevant. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You can't say that this isn't uh, speaking directly to us when he refers to this. Remember the audience, Peter was writing to a dispersed church that was being persecuted and likely pretty discouraging, needing a, a little bit of uplifting. So he refers to them as beloved then he tells them not to be surprised by their fiery trial. Now, a fiery trial might look different for each of us based on what our experience is. In this case, this fiery trial uh, that they were going through was persecution. But for us, it's the current situation that we find ourselves in. It tells us something specific. It says, don't be surprised by it. In other words, trials are not something strange. They're not something strange. In fact, God has used trials as a tool in, uh, in the goal of shaping his kids 
throughout history. It's been a tool in his hand throughout history. We've seen this pattern throughout scripture. If you think about the pattern in the Old Testament, actually, and New Testament, this is the pattern. We start to move towards self-reliance, that that sneaks in, then disaster comes, then there's a sense of desperation and calling out to the Lord, then he comes and delivers. Think about how often that pattern is repeated throughout scripture and maybe even you've seen in your own life. You say, well, where do you see it, Scott, in the scripture? Well, a couple different specific areas. Think about Moses on the other side of 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8, 1 and 2 tells us his words. This is him speaking to Israel. He says, you must carefully follow every commandment I'm giving you today so that you may live and multiply and enter and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Remember that these 40 years that the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness so that, listen to this, he might humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Notice there in that passage, he says that God actually led them in the wilderness, that he had the intent of humbling them and testing them. God uses trial to get our attention, to to humble us, to test us, to bring us back to him as our source of trust. Paul, who went through many trials, tons of different obstacles, he had the same exact conclusion. In 2 Corinthians 1.9, this is what he says, says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul himself recognizes that God sends us through difficulty to help us realize that we can't trust in anything other than him. Trials help us weed through potential sources of trust and identify what is actually worthy of trust and what is not. Think about that for a second. It's a logical approach to how you would weed through things. How would we know that we can't trust in our ability to control circumstances unless we're no longer able to control our circumstances? How would we know that we can't trust money to rescue us unless we lose it or it loses the ability to rescue us from our circumstances? Steve Jobs, who you'd be familiar with, is said to have made these statements on his deathbed. It's quoted as saying, At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. A lot of times it's the obstacles that reveals where we're placing. It exposes the object of our trust. How would we know that we can't trust human leaders to rescue us unless they fail to rescue us? God allows these things to reveal and to expose where we're placing our trust. If you think about it though, it's God's kindness in doing this. He does that so that we're not leaning into something that's not going to hold us. I remember a couple of years ago, Adrian and I in Hawaii, we were there with the whole family and we had a chance to pull away for a little bit and do some sightseeing. And we we're looking out over this beautiful cliff and over this uh, section of ocean. And we had a local come up to us and pointed because we were out just standing there and taking pictures. And a local came up and he said, you do realize that you're like a foot and a half from like a couple hundred foot fall. 
We didn't see that literally next to where we were standing, there was this tall grass that was hiding the edge. We're so thankful that he revealed to us, he exposed to us how dangerous we were, what territory we are finding ourselves in. Similar with this, what trials do in our life is they expose a faulty source of trust. So reality is, as much as we think we want to avoid trials and difficulties and suffering, suffering is neither random or senseless, but it's actually part of God's plan for exposing false gods and developing trust in Jesus alone. A lot of times, those of us who follow Jesus Christ think of ourselves, we, don't th- we flatter ourselves and think that we don't necessarily need to be tested in this stuff, but we don't realize the extent of self-reliance that's actually snuck in, that's gotten below the surface in our life, our misdirected trust. So now as we're going through our current situations, we have a choice how we respond. How do we not waste this time? One of the ways that we can not waste this time is don't be so quick to pray for God to take us out of the trial. Maybe a better prayer would be, God, will you reveal what I'm placing my trust in that I shouldn't be? Things that aren't going to hold the weight of my future. That's how you maximize a trial. Verse 13, we continue on, says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's always interesting to me in scripture, and it's kind of a repeated theme, how often we're told to rejoice when we share in Christ's suffering. Seems a little bit weird, right? That's the idea that we're actually invited or called to rejoice But when you think about it, what is he saying here? He's again pointing us towards the future. He said, said, we'll be glad when his glory is revealed. For these persecuted Christians in this time, he's saying, listen, at some point, it's going to come to be known that you had placed your trust appropriately. You see, when Christ returns, he's not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming as a reigning king. And so all of a sudden, those that had been mocked and made fun of for the name of Jesus Christ are going to be celebrated as, whoa, you made the right choice. I was talking to a friend back in Chicago, and I was, uh, we were just talking about my role in preaching. I was telling him, man, it sure does seem like it often in Scripture it keeps going back to pointing to the future, future hope, future glory. And he's, I, I remember his response. I actually liked it. He said, maybe it's because that's what we need to consistently be reminded of. We're so easily caught up in our current circumstances. And there's a reason why God consistently points to the future. What's coming, what's coming, what's coming. Don't look at what's the current scenario. Look to the future. It says rejoice in what's to come. He continues with directives in that. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Kind of an interesting statement there, but you think about what he's actually saying. Our God in his kindness meets us during suffering in a tangible way that he doesn't necessarily always meet us otherwise. When we're going through a difficulty, even think about your own personal experience. When has God sensed or felt the closest in your life 
almost always you point back to a time of difficulty. That's when he's exposed as the most present. That's why here he's saying, because the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. He wants to rest rest upon you. This time of going through challenge and question marks about our future, job stuff, economic security, all of those things are potential to lean in to sense his presence, to to sense him as the one constant amongst things that are constantly changing and up for grabs. So listening to a pastor this week, I like the way he put it. He says, nobody appreciates an air conditioner until it's hot outside. Similar for us, until we are in the middle of suffering, we won't necessarily recognize God's provision Until it gets hot in the room, you don't recognize that the AC cranking feels amazing. We have a choice in this one, though, also. You can kind of blaze the trail through this curtain stretch and and try to maintain things on your own. Or you can lean into it and say, I'm going to specifically carve carve out times to connect with Jesus Christ. To, to lean into his presence, to lean into intimacy with Christ. Don't miss the opportunity to connect. Don't waste the trial. Continue in verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter reminds us here that there are different causes for our suffering. If you think about that, not all of our suffering becomes, comes from a noble reasoning. Here he points out how a lot of times our suffering is the outcome of sinful choices. I've heard it said before, choose to sin, choose to suffer. If we unintentionally think that every single trial is related to following Jesus, rather than the outcome of poor sinful decisions, we won't learn from mistakes and adjust our behavior. God wants us to recognize, to be able to look and assess our trial and say, wait a second, is that just a a stupid tax? Is that because I made a a poor choice, a a bad decision? Is it the outcome of, of sin in my life? Or am I suffering for the name of Christ? For us too often, we uh, attach to be like, yeah, I'm just a Christian suffering. And you can point to our circumstances and be like, no, it has nothing to do with you suffering for Christ. It has everything to do with choices that you've made. Make sure that in the middle of trial, we're directly uh, attaching it to the right thing. That we're using that to say, you know what? I'm gonna learn and grow from this. I'm gonna make different decisions on the other side of this suffering. Peter tells us not to suffer as a consequence for sinful choices. Peter mentions the judgment beginning with a God's household. Kind of an interesting statement. You're like, wait a second. I didn't know there's any judgment attached in in God's household. How How does that actually relate? How does that work? Here's the reality and the best way that I understand that section of scripture is that we're reminded that sometimes, sometimes suffering is the outcome of bad choices that we've made. Sometimes it's uh, the, the ripple effect 
from being around a world that's ultimately rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Some of God's judgment for mankind is going to be building as end times get closer and closer. Sometimes we get the ripple effect of that. For us to be reminded though, he's wanting us to keep perspective. That if we think that's bad, he's saying, you know what, for somebody that doesn't know Christ, things get a lot worse. This is a wonderful time during seasons like this to do some self-evaluation to determine whether or not I've bent a knee and embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what, how he describes it here. It says those who are outside, those who haven't obeyed the gospel of God. The gospel of God is this. It's the simple gospel message that Jesus Christ came as a rescue plan for mankind. And we have a choice to either embrace that or reject that. The invitation during this trial and every trial is, man, there's never a better time to come to acknowledge our sin, to call out to him. You can do that even in this, this video right now to say, Jesus, I embrace your finished work on the cross. Here for the believer, the reminder, the encouragement is that this is the worst that it will ever get. Whatever trial you're going to through on this side of eternity, this is the very worst it's ever going to get. We have such good days ahead. So be honest about the reason for our trials. Do some genuine reflection because in that genuine reflection is when actually change can happen. When God can help us modify our behavior, modify our decisions based on some of the outcomes that we're not liking that we're currently in. Verse 19, and we'll end with this last verse. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Those who suffer according to God's will is what it says. So who would that be? Basically, anybody that's going through any suffering, it had to first go through the filter of God Almighty. There's no such thing as a trial or suffering that's snuck by outside of God's knowing. So if you're going through something, it's because God has allowed you to go through it. So when he says, let those who suffer according to God's will, who's he referring to? All of us, anyone that's suffering, is it because it was part of God's will? So what does he tell us to do? He says, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. I love that expression. This is a great verse to memorize. Maybe that's your commitment this next week of maximizing the week ahead. It says to entrust their souls. This is actually a, a banking term for trusting valuables into the safekeeping of someone else. We need to turn our trials over to him completely. We have a choice in this stretch. And I know there's a lot of people that are feeling tons of anxiety and stress over the future. And, and lots of people saying, well, what's next? What's gonna happen on the other side of us? It's a wonderful time. And it's almost a necessary time to remind ourselves to call out and say, Jesus, I turn this over to you. It might even help even in the, this moment, even in your house to say those words, Jesus, I turn this over to you. The freedom that comes from that, from turning over and trusting everything. When he's saying your soul, that's, a, that's saying the full package, every single part of who we are, turning over our trust to him. Why do we do that? He tells us why. To a faithful creator, to a faithful creator, that's who we're dealing with. Someone that has a track record 
of faithfulness that is flawless. Someone that you can trust. Someone that even when you think back in your own life, every trial that you've been through, have you made it through? Yes, you're on the other side of it because we're following a faithful creator. What if in this trial, we began to celebrate in advance, to celebrate the fact that, you know, I I trust that God's going to take care of it. Man, I'll tell you what would set us apart apart from most of our peers, the majority of people, is if when people are asking, don't don't you wonder what's going to happen? Hey, I'm not worried at all. Just trusting God's going to take care of it. Just trusting in him, not a a blind trust, but a trust based on a track record. That's what we can do is begin to celebrate in advance. Don't wait till afterwards, start now. Nobody's gonna notice if you trust him on the other side of his provision. But when we trust him going through the thick of it, that's when the world around takes notice. Last thing, Larry, last words in that, we're to trust him or entrust our souls to a faithful creator, he says, while doing good, while doing good. I heard a local youth pastor bring up this point this last week. He says, this experience will someday pass. What story will you have to tell about it? I like that thought. I like thinking about in the the fall, if there's a tape of how we responded being replayed, are we gonna be satisfied with how we responded to our circumstances? There's a playback and we watch, will I like how I used my time? Will I like how I love people? Will I like my level of generosity? Will I like how I invested in family? Will I like how I invested in my marriage? How I reached out to, to neighbors, to the underprivileged? How will we respond? Don't miss out on the story. These are circumstances that we've never seen in our lifetime, kind of some of the, the monumental things in, a, in our, our country that we look back on. You always ask, well, what were you doing during that time? Can you remember where you're at? For us, don't you want to have a story to continue doing good, looking for opportunities to bless people? I don't, don't, don't be the person that says, you know what? When I think back to that time, I watched a bunch of TV, YouTube, and oh man, you'd love the Facebook memes I saw, the amount of toilet paper I collected, the amount of food that I ate. Don't be that person. Instead, be the person with a story of, you know, we did some crazy stuff. We had adventures with our kids. We, we, uh, the, the things that we did in our house, we were creative. My wife and I spent lots of times. We went on prayer walks together. We had family devotions together. Don't miss out on this experience. Don't waste this trial, if you will. These are a couple of thoughts from God's word. And I hope that there may be a blessing and an encouragement to you and uh, something that maybe will spur you on. I would love to hear stories from you coming in this coming week of ways that you didn't waste this trial. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time in your word. And we thank you how it points to how to work through and make the most out of our circumstances. God, I pray that that would be the case for us, that this would move us to to recognizing you as the only one that's trustworthy, that we'd be aware, we'd be brought to the surface some of the things that we've been placing our trust in that aren't trustworthy. There would be adjustment, there would be be a, a refocus. God, I pray that we would take the opportunity to think through, to be intentional about our time, how this is an amazing time to lean in and draw close to the intimacy 
with God. That we'd also look for opportunities to to do good, to surprise people with kindness, to reach out with a a phone call to maybe somebody that we know that's isolated. Maybe it's like Adrian said, writing a note, a card to somebody down the block. God, we thank you for this window of opportunity for us to be the church. The church isn't bound in a building. The church is in the world. I pray that you'd use us mightily in the weeks and days ahead. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing one more song together. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your this is my confidence, you've never failed me yet. I know the night won't last, your word will come to still enough Keep me within your love My heart will sing your praise again Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness Still in your hands This is my confidence You've never failed Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my
promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never fail Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness So true that statement. He's never failed us yet. We'll never forget. He's a faithful and good God. I pray that you experience that in your homes, in your weeks ahead, as we're not able to gather, but we're still clinging to the same constant God who is faithful. We attach this week to the, on the website, a discussion question list uh, that might be helpful just as a family or in life groups that might guide some of your conversation. You can find that on the church website. And as always, any way that we can serve you, bless you, pray for you, feel free to reach out in all of our different uh, ways to communicate. God bless you. Have an amazing week.